All right, so why are you here? N not here in this building, but why are you in the Bay Area? For a job, to get an education, to raise a family. I imagine those are some of the first thoughts that come to your mind. But that's not why you're here. You say, it's not. It, it, it seems like it. Are you sure? I, I'm positive. That's not why you're here. But don't take it from me. Take it from the one who has authority over all of heaven and all of earth. Jesus said this. He said, therefore, go, or as you go into the world, make disciples. An educational or a career opportunity, family or friends may have been what enticed you to the Bay Area, but make no mistake, you are here for the primary reason of making disciples of Jesus Christ. So how's it going? Are there people who are living in greater relationship and greater obedience to Jesus Christ because of your influence upon their life? Now, so many of you this morning could answer with a confident yes. And you're setting for us a beautiful example. And I praise God for the difference that you're making in the lives of people and the way that he's working through your life. But for some of us here this morning, we're drawing blanks. Not a single name is coming to our mind when I ask that question. That's a problem. Because Jesus said, disciples of his make disciples. In fact, just hours prior to his crucifixion, Jesus shared these words with his first disciples. Gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Thank you, Michelle. How does one show himself or herself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Jesus says, by bearing spiritual fruit. Now that includes inner qualities that reflect the nature of Jesus Christ as well as good works that reflect the love of Jesus Christ. But perhaps his primary idea or thought here about spiritual fruit is actually making new disciples. The theologian Bruce Milne puts it like this. He said, to seek the glory of God will therefore imply a commitment to mission and not least world mission as elsewhere in the New Testament, worship and evangelism become one. Further, it is by involvement in mission and becoming fruit bearers that we show ourselves to be authentic disciples. True grace is never idle. 
Initially, the early church questioned if Saul, who became Paul, was a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But no one could question the authenticity of his conversion for very long. Because in most every city, if not every city that he went to, he made disciples of Jesus. Whether he was there for a few days or whether he was there for a few years, by the time he left, there were new followers of Jesus Christ. It did not matter if he went to an intellectual outpost like Athens or out into the sticks like Berea or to a seedy city like Corinth that we talked about last week or to a thriving city like Ephesus. He made disciples. Ephesus is where we find Paul in Acts chapter 19. Now, how many disciples did Paul make in Ephesus? Well, he made so many disciples of Jesus Christ that the very culture of that city began to change. Now, Ephesus was a big multicultural city that was the political, economic, and religious center in Asia. Magic was a common practice in Ephesus, as well as the worship of the Greek goddess Artemis. In fact, a temple was built to mother goddess Artemis that was known as one of the seven or one of the wonders of the ancient world. And it was a huge attraction. People came from far and wide to visit that particular temple and to worship that god, Artemis. And, as would be the case, it provided a lucrative business opportunity. People in that community decided, here's what we'll do. We'll make sure when people come to visit this, this outstanding site, this amazing structure, we're going to also have just kind of this side market, and we're going to be able to sell some things to them. And so they created these little miniature silver replicas of that temple to Artemis. But then within, oh, about three years... So many people in that community in Ephesus had reoriented their lives around Jesus Christ that the spiritual and the economic and the social impact was impossible to miss. I want you to listen to how Luke describes it. He writes these words in Acts chapter 9, verse 19, and then verse 23 through 27. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and buried them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. I want you to think about that for just a moment. So many people decided, despite the fact this is lucrative business for us, we're now following Jesus, and so we're going to bury what we're making money from. We're gonna reorient our lives. We're gonna start following Jesus because this is the right way to live our lives. Verse 23, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way or the church, followers of Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers and related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. 
The impact of Paul's ministry on Ephesus, it, convic- it convicts me that the key to local or national transformation is what, not what so many people suggest. So many people would offer that really for us to turn our nation back towards God, it's going to happen through a political process. It's not. In fact, I would argue that has perhaps done far more damage than good to the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that you shouldn't be involved in the political process, but what I am saying is this, is that nothing is going to change in a nation, in a community, in people's homes until hearts are changed. And politicians don't change hearts. Jesus Christ changes hearts. And so, yes, be involved in the political process, but don't confuse politics with the mission of God. Jesus didn't say, therefore, go and vote. Paul didn't go into new communities and hold rallies exposing the evils of the governing authorities. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples, and that's what Paul did. And with each new disciple made, culture turned a little bit more towards God. So how did Paul make so many disciples? Well, here's what he did. In every city that he went to, he planted a church with a high-energy worship service and awesome programs for people of all ages and lots of social activities. No? Okay, well, here's what he did. In every community he went into, he volunteered at a local soup kitchen. He tutored kids, and he marched in rallies to support the underrepresented. Sounds good, but still not in the text. Here's actually what Paul did. Acts 19, 8 through 10. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, so Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Trianus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I'm all for inspiring worship services and fun fellowship and good works. But nobody's going to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus offers, and what Jesus demands unless we actually tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. To make disciples, we've got to speak up. Perhaps you're thinking, but that's what we pay you ministers for. We, we pay you to teach. And, and yes, you do. You pay us to teach. But I want you to take note that Jesus didn't say, therefore, go and hire people to make disciples. <laughs> it's my responsibility. It's Marion's responsibility. It's the Schrader's responsibility. 
It's Jeff Dumo's responsibility, it's Mark Connolly's responsibility, and it's your responsibility as well. We are called to make disciples. Okay, but I'm not sure where to begin. Well, how about we do exactly what Paul did? He secured a spot in the Hall of Trianus to meet with other disciples to share faith conversations. I'm not sure if he initially invited pre-Christians to be a part of that gathering or if simply pre-Christians saw what was taking place and then they decided to join in. I imagine it was a combination of the two, but here's what I do know that after two years, just about everybody in that province had heard the good news of Jesus Christ. This is something we can do, isn't it? You can start meeting with two or three other people. You can meet in your backyard. You can meet at Starbucks. Uh, You can meet in the food court at the mall. You can meet in a local park. You can meet in any public space that you so choose to have faith conversations with other people. I I think about a friend of mine by the name of Robert who loved to golf. And so every Saturday morning, he would go out for his tea time to golf early in the morning. And then finally, it really impacted him that I'm not just here to play golf. I'm here to make disciples. And so he made the decision and got permission just to kind of post information that there would be a Bible study in the clubhouse early that morning before they actually set out for a tea time and they started to have faith conversations right there in that public space and it made a difference. And yes, it may start slow, but I'm confident that over time, as you enter into this type of ministry, God will bring to your mind people that you should invite or perhaps he'll even bring people to you that don't know about Jesus, who need to know about Jesus to join your group. It's something that you can do. And I realize as I ask this question, when are you going to start a group? Some of you are thinking, yeah, nice try. There's no way I'm going to start a group. And I'm not going to start a group because I'm not a teacher. Really? Nobody has ever learned anything from you? Ever? How did your kids learn to tie their shoes? How did your dad learn how to play Xbox? How did Granny get on Facebook? We have all taught someone something, right? You're a teacher. Now, you may not feel equipped to teach about Jesus, and I get that. But the answer is not to deny the call of Jesus Christ on your life. The answer is to get equipped. Acts chapter 18, Luke mentions one of the most influential teachers in the early church, a guy by the name of Apollos. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 or so, verse 12, you're going to realize that Apollos was the guy who made a lot of disciples of Jesus Christ. But I want you to listen to what Luke says about this man in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 26. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. 
I really feel like just based on that short description of Apollos, this great teacher, disciple maker, we can pick up some pointers on what it looks like to be an effective teacher. One thing that I want you to notice about him is this, is that he had a passion for scripture. He knew scripture. The more time you spend in scripture, especially the gospels, the more spiritual insight you'll have to share with other people. Now, you may feel like, I really struggle to understand scripture, and I understand that as well. So what I wanna encourage you to do is to buy a good study Bible, buy a set of commentaries, buy a Bible dictionary, or use an online resource like the Bible Project. There are so many resources available that can help you understand scripture to be able to share it with other people. The second thing that I want you to notice about this man is that he was passionate about sharing scripture and Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that he was charismatic. It doesn't mean he was animated or told great jokes. I think sometimes we feel like we gotta be able to do all these things to be an effective great teacher. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is this, is that he had a deep conviction about Jesus. That when he taught, he believed what he taught and it mattered to him. And that's what made him effective. But I also want you to notice this, he was teachable. Apollos was teachable. Aquila and Priscilla taught him more accurately about Jesus. Great teachers are great students. If you don't feel like you have the ability to teach about Jesus, ask for help. Ask for help. There are so many people here in this church who would love to sit down and have a conversation with you about how to teach about Jesus or what they've learned through trial and error about teaching about Jesus. Just be teachable and you'll become a great teacher. Maybe not in a big setting and that's okay, but you can be a great teacher in your home. You can be a great teacher one-on-one. You can be a great disciple maker at your workplace. Because you can be equipped, but more importantly, the Holy Spirit is the one who's working through you. And so our confidence is in him. Now, others of you may be hesitant because you're thinking, okay, I'm not sure how to structure a faith conversation. There are a lot of different resources that you can use. A lot of different videos or books. I wanna share with you one of my very favorite. It's called the Discovery, uh, uh, Discovery Bible Study. And here's essentially how it works. You're going to gather with two or three, four other people. You're going to have a passage of scripture that you've selected for that week. Let's just say it's John chapter 1. And when you come together, you're going to read John chapter 1, not once, not twice. You're going to read it three times. Because it is a word of God that is living and active and convicts the soul and spirit. And so we want people to hear God's word more than ours. So we read that scripture three times. And then you're going to enter into a conversation in which you discuss and apply the passage. You're going to discuss the passage by just asking some uh, simple questions. What does this teach me about God? The second question, what does this teach me about people? Third question, how will I put this passage into practice? Here's discipleship right here. How are we going to live this out? 12, who do I know that needs to hear this? We're disciples who make disciples. We're going to go share it with someone else now. But then we're going to enter into some life sharing type of questions just to find out what's going on in one another's lives as we do life together. And so we're going to ask questions like this. What happened last week that you are thankful for? Next question, are you facing any challenges we can pray about? And then the final question, 
How did you share, obey, meet the needs you talked about the previous week? Now, I realize some of you are trying to write down, fill in the blanks. We moved way too fast. It's driving you nuts because you're a type A and all that. That's okay. Catch me afterwards. We'll fill in the blanks and get that information for you. Uh, But that's a simple process. Let me tell you why I really like this. One is because it doesn't put pressure on any one person to come up with a 30 to 45 minute Bible study that they feel like they've got to really do well. We're, We're... having faith conversation together, learning together through the power of the Spirit. The second reason I really like this approach is because the emphasis is on discipleship, not information dispensing. It's about how are we going to be changed? How are we going to follow Jesus? Is this making any difference in my life when I walk out of this place, or did I just get another Bible lesson? I have seen many lives change, be transformed, huge decisions for the kingdom of God made simply because groups of people, four or five people, sat down and did this type of study. When I was preaching in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, we started with one group, one group. Ended up being probably close to 20 groups, male groups and female groups. By the power of the Holy Spirit, what I watched happen in that congregation, I watched people make decisions to adopt children. I watched people not only make the decision to adopt children, but to adopt special needs children, special needs children from Russia and Ethiopia and all over the world, as well as kids from America who needed a home. I watched families make the decision because what they were convicted by, what they were reading in scripture and discussing, make the decisions to sell their homes, move into low-income neighborhoods and decide we're going to make disciples in this neighborhood because we feel like it's what God's calling us to. It had nothing to do with any of us. It had everything to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. But when people get serious about hearing the voice of God and listening and talking about what God's calling me to do in my life, things begin to change. Lives begin to change. Homes begin to change. Communities begin to change. And they become more like Jesus in the kingdom of God. And I want to see that so much happen in my life and in this church and in this community. So who do I invite to a faith conversation group? Anyone and everyone. Anyone and everyone. A few years ago, a southwestern garage owner got tired of people breaking into his garage and stealing tools. Fed up with it. So he finally posted a sign that said, I, purchased, I have purchased a new Mexican lion who will attack anyone who climbs my fence. Things changed that moment. There were no more break-ins. Nobody even attempted it because they could read the sign, look through the fence, and they could see that Mexican lion standing guard. That's a picture of that Mexican lion. Now, what the thieves or would-be thieves didn't know is that lion was not a lion. It was just his dog with a fancy haircut. (laughs) I, I share that story with you simply to say that appearances are deceiving, right? They're deceiving at times. 
And just because a person claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, a Christian, does not necessarily make that true. That's one of the lessons that that Paul learned when he entered into Ephesus. Acts 19 begins like this. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. No doubt initially Paul thought, you know, these guys are followers of Jesus, but then as they shared conversation, he began to realize, you know what, that's not the case at all. These guys are followers of John the Baptist, but not of Christ. They have no awareness of Pentecost, let alone the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now imagine these individuals had repented and were doing the best, their best to live God-honoring lives, but they were not saved. You say, what's that have to do with us today? Well, the numbers are not quite as high as they once were, but still the majority of Americans, they claim to be Christians. They claim to be Christians. And many of these folks are passionate about gospel works. They're passionate about peace and justice and human rights and the environment. But the truth is they've never fully embraced the gospel. And this moment in Ephesus clearly reminds me that until one places their faith fully in the saving work of Jesus Christ and have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, one is not saved. And so how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, there are a few instances in the book of Acts in which people receive the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands through one of the apostles, but the emphasis in Acts is that one receives the Holy Spirit through baptism. It's through baptism. And so this morning, if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ in baptism and received the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to take that step or to at least enter into deeper conversation about it. And to all of us, please don't assume that just because a person claims to be a disciple that he or she could not benefit from participating in a faith conversation group. You see, even those of us who have received the Spirit, we still have plenty of maturing to do. And so invite everyone. Invite those who are far from God and invite those who claim to know God into a faith conversation this week. And that's where I want to end. I want to invite us at this time just to take a moment and worship team, you can come on up to the stage and be prepared But what I'd like for us to do is just pause for a moment of silent prayer and then I'll pray over us in just a moment. But here's what I'd like to ask you to pray about. For God to put on your heart, for God to put on your mind two two or three other people that you might invite into a faith conversation. Not just a one-time conversation, but an ongoing conversation in which you spend time in the word of God and thinking through who God is. What am I learning about myself? How should this make a difference in my life? And who can I share it with someone else? Let's enter into a time of silent prayer for a moment.
Heavenly Father, as we close this time together, I, I first want to say thank you so much for the privilege and the blessing of being able to live in the Bay Area. For me personally, it's been a huge joy to come back to be in this community that as a, a kid shaped me and gave me a place of such warm memories and a place where I really learned about Jesus and a church family that taught me how to follow him, even though I had so much more to learn and still do. I'm thankful that you've given me the opportunity to come back and be a part of this loving community, this, this people who have been here for so many years making a difference in the Campbell area and really around the world. It has a heart, a heart to see this place better reflect the kingdom of God. With each conversation I have, Lord, I just see such wonderful, loving hearts that seek you and desire to want to obey you and follow you, and I'm thankful for the encouragement I receive from that. Father, at the same time, we also recognize that this is a truly a mission field. That there are so many people around us that, that don't know Jesus, and many people who are, at this point are very skeptical or antagonistic towards Christ. And that can be intimidating for us and in a lot of ways. There's a part of us that thinks, let's just, let's just gather up together and be safe and hold on and not be influenced. But God, you've put us here to be an influence, to make a difference, to be salt and light. Work through us, please, God. We can't do it on our own. We ask you for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do something amazing in this place. Do something amazing in our community. May our presence change the very culture of this place in some way. The culture of our homes, the culture of our schools, the culture of our workplaces, in some small way, if not great way, that brings honor and glory to you. God, I pray that you'll put on the heart of each person two or three people that you're seeking, that you've been after, and they've got... They've got a heart. They're starting to lean towards you, and now you're asking us to just enter into conversation as we get those promptings from the Spirit. Give us the courage to say yes. Knowing, as Ruth mentioned earlier, that there's a lot of anxiousness and fear about risk-taking and stepping outside of our comfort zone. But that's where life is. That's where life with you is. It's not in the boat. It's on the water. Help us to keep our eyes on you, knowing that you'll guide us and you'll keep us safe. But you'll also do something very powerful if we're there with you. Thank you for saving us, Lord. May we become more like you every day. And may we be disciples who make disciples. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As we close, if you're here this morning in need of prayer, this is a time that we like to spend as a church family praying for one another. Just a moment, we'll sing this song, but if you would like prayer and you're in the auditorium or out here in the, the patio area, there will be shepherds around the auditorium. Feel free to make your way to one of our shepherds. They're wise for a prayer this morning. If you're watching online at home, feel free to submit a prayer request online in the chat window or through email. We'll be sure to be praying for you this week. I, I feel like just for a moment, 
I'm sorry, I didn't smile much today. I feel like maybe this came across as cranky. I don't mean for it to be cranky at all. Uh, it's just kind of burning on my heart. I'm sorry, I, I, I apologize if I was way too uptight. But thank you. Thank you for your graciousness this morning. May we leave this place energized to make a difference for the kingdom of God. May God bless you.